Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Brendan here with Mark, episode 334, 334, Thursday, February the 13th, 2024. Mark, can you hear me? I can hear you, Brendan. Though the airwaves are quivering, I understand. Yes, as we record, we've had uh, quite dramatic weather here in Melbourne, Mark, as we briefly mentioned before we started recording, um, temperature 37 degrees or so Celsius today and then huge storms and uh, the clinic is closed, Mark. Our clinic's closed. Power went out a couple of hours ago. It's, uh, we're recording actually just just a bit of insider knowledge here, Mark. We're recording this one on a um, late afternoon, aren't we? Yes. And the um, all the staff's gone home, Mark. Um, I'm sat at home. I've now opened up the um, gin and tonic and <laughs> <laughs> opened all the windows and I've got the Tesla battery trying to crank up to 100% because, yeah, there's lots of power outages around Melbourne and I'm hoping the battery will save us if we lose power. So, so far so good. Um Mark, so hopefully we will um, be able to record today without any too dramatics. How is it up your way? Look, it's it's funny how the weather's making waves for all of us. It's uh, um, we've got a bit of a a low pressure um, depression out in the Gulf of Carpentaria that's pushing a bit of wet weather our way, and we're getting storms as well. So. Oh, we're just going to have to get through it, Brendan. The weather's not our friend today, but we're just going to have to get through it. Yes, yes, we will. We'll soldier on, Mark. We'll soldier on. And thanks to all our listeners for soldiering on and listening to us, especially those who have got through the 333 previous episodes, Mark. And related to that, we've got a, a, um, a shout-out to a new patron, um, Darren from the UK, who's done his um, zoological medicine advanced practitioner uh, course and certificate of aquaculture studies, I think, aquatic vet studies. So, um, thanks, Darren. And he sent us a bit of an email. He's joined um, as our one of our patient supporters as a bug. We have different levels, Mark. A bug being the, the smallest level, but not <laughs> the most insignificant. That's for sure. All of not them are all. significant and. Uh, Quite a quite an, an amusing. I laughed out loud when Darren sent me this episode. He's worked through his uh, our first hundred episodes, so he's got a bit of catching up to go. And he just finished episode one hundred twenty, Mark, from thirtieth of January nineteen uh, two thousand and twenty. And his his comments are in it. You spoke of a coronavirus which just arose in China, <laughs> which seems to be worrying us, but yet controlled at the time. And he's just stating that, gee, you're in for a surprise, you lads. Um, there's a <laughs> pandemic coming. And, yes, we certainly we certainly did have a pandemic, didn't we, Mark? And um, as you work through our up to our current episodes, Darren, you'll see that we um, do mention it at several times. So, yes. So thank you very much, Darren. Every, every bit um, helps um, with all our production costs and... Um, we are extremely pleased to have you on board and perhaps you can send fire us another email and chat a little bit about um, the work you're doing there at your um, 
private veterinary practice by the look of it there, and you've certainly done some of those advanced um, zoo medicine and aquatic medicine um, courses as well. So thank you very much. Isn't it a little bit scary to look back and think what we must have said Mm. um, and the way we said it um, a few years ago? Like, I'm too scared to play that episode. um, (laughs) I don't like hearing my voice at the best of times, but um, sometimes the combination of the sound and the stupidity of what I say is too much absolutely intolerable yes um I'm sure we said oh there's some sort of virus going around let's it won't be much of an issue but that's um, right it'll all be good (laughs) yes well there we go uh (laughs) there we go we've made no promises about being perfect um soothsayers yes um I think we need to jump into our one and only news story, Mark. Um, and uh, this one is about, I'll try and pull it up. Have you got it out in front of you here? Uh, I do, I do. Um, it's well, the. You um, jump into it and I'll grab it while you, while you chat. It's uh, the story of, um, uh, it talks about dogs' lifespans. Um, and it, um, uh, it, it has a little bit of a correlation um, just in general broad trends um, that the, um, the, the about the length of the longevity about the length of um, dogs lives and uh, it, it sort of suggests that um, that large breeds and breeds with flattened faces had shorter average lifespans than smaller dogs and those with elongated snouts and uh, no surprise, female dogs also live slightly longer than male ones. Um, and so I, I, um, I, I, I wonder about the significance. There are exceptions to those broad trends, Brendan, um, and, and the, the findings were specific to dogs inside of Britain, the, the country in which the study was done. Um, but I don't even know whether... Would, would the study stand up to, to detailed examination? I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose they're, they're hinting about the brachycephalic um, issue, um, I suppose, um, um, which, is, which is fair enough if that's what they're trying to link it to. Um, I mean, it was a fairly, just flicking through it, I've pulled it up now, the study is based on a database of 584,000 Almost five hundred eighty-five thousand British dogs, Mark. So that's, on, that's a decent chunk there. Um, but it's it's assembled from various sources: breed registries, pet insurance companies, veterinary companies, and other sources. Uh, and they do state that it's prone to various biases there, Mark. But I think the reason why I pulled this one out, Mark, is that one it was um, uh, oh, that interesting headline. Two it was from the New York Times. Um, three. Um, Interestingly enough, um, the policy here, Mark, for the Australian Veterinary Association with anybody who presents at conferences now, um, and and I, I, I'm presenting at an upcoming conference here, as you know, um, is that you are specifically asked not to place any pictures of any brachycephalic breeds in your presentations. Uh, and I've got two things to say about that. The first one is... Bloody good on the our Australian Veterinary Association. We as leaders in animal welfare should be um, devout advocates of uh, not breeding physical signs that compromise animal welfare. And the second thing is that, I don't know, can you 
I, I don't know whether you can draw the cause and effect line between um, the shape and the longevity. Um, I, I, I'm like, yep. you know what I'm saying? But, yes. Um, there may be other causes for for uh, for those for the long livedness of some uh, dog breeds that has nothing to do with the shape of their face. Um, it's an interesting correlation, and there may be a cause, like you said, the the brachycephalics having a lifetime of trying to get air into their lungs um, at exorbitantly high pressures uh, could have a series of health issues that shorten their life. But this study does not prove that correlation. Yeah, I think that, uh, just causation. Yes, um, the researchers categorised the breeds into body size, so small, medium and large, and the head as flat-faced, medium-proportioned or long-faced. So they're pretty broad categories, aren't they? There. So, yeah. But, yes, um, interesting article. We will link to it, as always, at vetgurus.com if you search for this particular episode and uh, you can have a read for it yourself, or at least the link uh, will be there to the original research and, and you can see the New York Times article there. Um, yeah, so that's our one and only news story this week, Mark. Um, you've provided a very interesting, speaking of articles, a, a, a research paper, and, and we're going to use that to have a bit of a chat about our main topic this week, which is reptile welfare and specifically behavioural enrichment and environmental enrichment, Mark. So do you want to jump into that? I do, I do. We've mentioned... Um uh, enrichment as an important tool in the captive husbandry of the species we deal with a number of times, Brendan. Yep. Uh, but I came across this paper um, in the Journal of Applied Animal Behavioural Science um, and it led me to a number of other papers in the same journal which looked at um, the ways that uh, we could improve the lives of um, of. Uh, of captive animals, particularly captive reptiles. The two studies I looked at, the one that you mentioned, which looked at tokay geckos, um, and an earlier one which looked at uh, leopard geckos, um, had some what I thought were interesting findings. Um, the first thing that I noted um, was that while, I mean, you and I talk about it, and I know a lot of other people do, uh, speak about how enrichment improves animal welfare but in actual fact there's been very very few studies which look at parameters which might indicate an improved quality of life associated with uh, behavioral or environmental enrichment particularly in reptiles there's virtually none yes. so it's good to have an evidence base i reckon it's good to find these papers and, and have some you know evidence base to build our recommendations on Yes. I was very interested to find um, the way they classified enrichment types. Um, they used, uh, for the leopard gecko study, they used uh, feeding enrichment, thermal enrichment. They used olfactory stimuli. They used a variety of objects, uh, a cage enclosure furniture, and they used a number of visual stimuli, including in one instance they used mirrors. Surprisingly, with the leopard geckos, they only found that um, enhancements in feeding uh, enrichment yep. um, and enhancements in uh, thermal environment uh, 
resulted in observed changes that could be associated with um, uh, improved quality of life. They could not identify um, any changes in the leopard geckos uh, that um, olfactory or uh, enclosure furniture led to, and visual stimuli, but particularly they used a mirror to try and visually stimulate the geckos, and they interpreted the changes in behaviour as a negative in that instance. Um, and I can't say that, um, that that's a big surprise. Uh, I think mirrors, particularly where we see them in birds, are an overused um, uh, crutch um, and often lead to uh, stereotypies and um, decreased quality of life. So I can't say I'm really surprised by that finding, Brendan. Yes. Um, I think we should, uh, you've provided a very, very detailed dot point uh, agenda for this, Hima, but I'm going um, I'm going to destroy go that by offline off by um, looking just just reading out a couple of sentences from the abstract of that yeah. uh, Toke gecko paper there, Mark, which was in the Applied Animal Behaviour Science, Volume 272, March 2024, so very recently, Mark. Um, and basically, they were investigating how pair housing changes mm. enclosure use, basking and hiding behaviour. Um, and the results showed that when socially deprived, lizards were more likely to move and hide before feeding, and males were more likely to have pound at the front than females during pair housing but not during single housing and uh, consistently lizards were more likely to bask after feeding across housing conditions and females were more likely to bask before their first clutch so basically pair housing decreased movement and hiding in relation to human presence so when they felt you know um when they felt probably um um more comfortable with their with their um little mates there mark um they weren't just hiding all the time which which makes makes logical sense but as you say there's very little information and in published papers on this sorts of um these sorts of studies is there and it does and it does make a lot of intuitive sense that um that species that you know um so take, for example, birds, they're in a flock. Uh, they're going to um, feel more comfortable with many eyes. But I don't think we completely understand a lot of the, the social interactions that reptiles have, and even reptiles that we identify as largely solitary in the wild, they still have a social life. And, um, and those social interactions... Uh, you know, I think we need to understand them better to be able to use um, social enrichment to maximise yes. our quality of life. But it doesn't make a surprise that, you know, uh, um, geckos such as the tokes, which are social, if there's more of them there, they're going to feel more comfortable to express their normal behaviours. Yes, yep. and it and it. Sorry, jump in, in right. again, and it and it also. You know, we've got we've got the conflicting issue of do do we house reptiles with a a mate, a paired mate, and uh, how do we deal with the potential issues with 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 breeding, or, or if you don't want to breed, and also things like in lizards and reptiles, um, um, will it have influence on uh, conditions like? follicular stasis will it um, um, help with um, prevention of those things um, you know we know we know we have those breeds like our veiled chameleons and our bearded dragons that are very prone to having 
problems like follicular stasis of the various forms when they are housed alone, Mark, if they are in with a a conspecific, a little mate, um, does it decrease the chance of that happening? Um, Should we be de-sexing these animals before we place them in together and pair housing them? There's all these sorts of questions that open up as well, Mark. And I think that's an indication that um, while we're able to find some literature at the moment, um, there's still a dearth of useful information on which to to make those recommendations with a sound evidence base. You know that I would almost certainly uh, consider it a good thing to um, have your female bearded dragon desexed um, because that's going to, um, in all likelihood, limit the chance of those problems. And then in an appropriately designed enclosure, those social interactions could um, could well occur. But um, the research just literally hasn't been done, has it? And what applies to a bearded dragon may not apply to a veiled chameleon, may not apply to a frilled neck lizard. Um, and so uh, we really have to understand the behaviour in the wild, tailor our um, our recommendations to the requirements of each species. Uh, but I do think um, in addition to looking at those physical things in the environment, uh, looking to an appropriate social environment and enriching it appropriately, um, it's a bit of a responsibility that we have to make sure that happens to make their captive life as good as possible. Yep, absolutely, Mark. And that's what I've sort of referred to as, I suppose, behavioural enrichment um, as as opposed to environmental enrichment there. Yeah. And we've certainly banged on about in the environmental enrichment before, but... Um, the way I try and get it across to clients is, look, have a look at our uh, reptile enclosures in our vet clinic. Um, they're fantastic for hygiene, for, for quarantine, for observing and, and uh, access to animals for treating them. But it's a, it's a, it's isolate, it's a prison cell. It's a, um, yeah, it's um it's a um, you know twenty four seven isolation. There's no stimulation at all. There's there's you know there might be some paper on the floor that we change regularly there's a little hide there's heating and lighting but that's about it there's no other other visual stimulation there's no as you sort of hinted of or mentioned about um um smell mark um, it, um different different smells different types of um, um textures of products that they can access and, and and play around with and have fun and be be have have good reptile fun, Mark. That's what we need to really concentrate on. And when I when I point out that yeah, it's great as a hospital cage, but it's um, you know imagine it's a bit like being in solitary confinement. And it is um, as far as reptiles go. One of my sort of bugbears, one of the things I'm likely to get on my soapbox about is um, is uh, you know the way that uh, the the uh, draw system that's often used to. Uh, house large numbers of um, in, of snakes in a relatively small space, and um, and their existence is um, well pared down to the, as you said, the worst form of imprisonment, without any stimulation, without any um, uh, exercise or um, uh, use of their senses, um, and I think um, yeah, it it behooves us to. Um, to uh, demonstrate the 
uh, inappropriateness of such housing and, and how it should be done so that the reptiles have a better life. Did I lose you, Brendan? Have we lost? No, you haven't lost me there. <laughs> I was just having a sip of my G and T while you were. I was scared. I was well, really scared. Well, you were, uh, had your lovely monologue there, Mark. Um, yes, I agree one hundred percent. Were there? There was one other takeaway um, yes. that I found really interesting in the Tokay Gecko article. Um, the geckos were being used in a. Um, in a research setting, so they were housed in a research setting. The researchers looked in the literature for, you know, the ideal um, husbandry setup for the geckos, um, and then they uh, looked at some of the science. They concluded that um, the best material they could find was inadequate in terms of describing the best husbandry and in in particular um the one of the things they highlighted was that none of the and this happens with many geckos and and amphibians as well um there was no recommendation for uh the opportunity for those animals to bask because they're uh, nocturnal it's um often assumed that uh you know they they have no need for exposure yes. to sunlight and um and and some of the husbandry recommendations that are widely promulgated on the web uh, don't highlight the fact that those animals do need um, some exposure to sunlight or um, a captive equivalent uh, uh, light containing appropriate amounts of ultraviolet light um, and that their health and well-being is, and growth rates and, and um, bone density all improve when they have that access to, uh, to, um, to good quality light. So, so I think um, just being uh, a little bit careful about what even um, uh, the best online information might be deficient in terms of ideal husbandry for many of our common species. Yes. Yes, and hopefully more research studies like um, this particular Tokay Gecko one, Mark, um, come out in the near future. I found, I found this a very interesting um, paper, Mark, um, and I think the other one you were talking about was the Leopard ge Gecko paper. Yes, uh, yes. Enrichment. Does enrichment improve reptile, reptile welfare? And we'll link, as I said, to the... Um, the Toke Gecko paper, and uh, if you click on that, you'll have a down the bottom of the page, you'll have a link to other behavioural related uh, reptile welfare research papers. What limited ones there are, anyway, Mark? No. Um, I know that um, at our UPAV conference, we've had talk about um, environmental enrichment. I'd be really interested to hear what our uh, what our listeners. Um, working in these fields recommend to their clients or to uh, people that are keeping reptiles is this a widely are we are we barking up the wrong tree generally or is it um, are we speaking as unusual and exotic veterinarians with one voice on this topic Brendan and what other ideas do people have uh, for improving the behavioral and environmental enrichment of their reptile patients I often yep. find those anecdotal stories of yes. ideas that people have come up with really really useful so some, some novel 
really novel um, ways to improve the welfare and uh, enrich those reptiles or birds or, or mammals, Mark. So, yeah, send us an email, vetgurus at gmail.com with your tips or tricks. And Mr. Outro's here, Mark. We'll, we made it. We'll talk to you all next week and stay safe. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thank you.